Hi there, it's Brett Fish, and welcome to another episode of Out of the Fish Bowl. And we talk about kids saying the stupidest things. But yet, in my experience, and especially when tragedy has struck, so something like the death of a loved one or divorce, the loss of a job or miscarriage, it is usually well-meaning adults who can say incredibly ignorant and often quite hurtful things. Now, at some point, life is going to suck in some way. That is inevitable. But let's please all pay attention and do the necessary thinking and work so that we don't make it worse for people when it does. Everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is that you're stupid and you make bad decisions. I love that quote. So let's explore how we can be a whole lot better at this as we listen to So an alternative title for this episode is Questions We Shouldn't Ask. I read somewhere that a smart person knows what to say, a wise person knows whether to say it or not, and I really like that. And then Alexander Lebed said this, think before you speak and don't say everything you think. Now I remember when my best friend Rob died of cancer in 2015, and many people at and around the funeral said some really hurtful things to his wife Nikki. Things like, oh, it's God's will, God took him, and things like that, which, which well-meaning people tend to say when somebody dies. And I think specifically for my fellow Christians, um, there's, there's a lot of danger and a lot of damage that's done when we say things that we think and feel, and we preface them with, oh, this is what God says. And so what is, what is different about this is that this is the damage that well-meaning people can do versus the previous episode where we were looking at mask holes, which was more focused on destructive, horrible people, people that go out intentionally to hurt and, and to, to really make people's lives horrible. This is good people. And, and we find this in so many spaces where a lot of it, I think, is connected to the fact that people are wary of silence or people fear silence. And so when there's a time or an occasion, something's happening and you don't quite know what to say. So you say the thing you've heard other people say so many times, or you say something that is well-meaning, well-intentioned, just to fill the space and it comes out hurtful. And another space where we find this is this whole idea of when are you going to find a girlfriend? And thinking of years ago, back when kind of all the people around me were looking for girlfriends or whatever, and then the moment you find a girlfriend, people are like, oh, when are you going to get married? And then the, on the day of your marriage, people are like, oh, when are you going to have a baby? And then when you have a baby, people are like, when are you going to have a second baby? And it just doesn't end. And it takes focus and really causes distraction from the celebration that's there at hand. Like if somebody is in a relationship, can we celebrate the fact that they are in a relationship without trying to fast forward to the next part of that relationship. When, when someone is married, can we celebrate the fact that there's this union, there's this relationship, there's this commitment without fast forwarding to, oh, when are you going to have your first child and when are you going to have your second child and all this kind of thing. It seems like we, we're nervous with, with the space we're in that we have to fill it with words that are often 
cruel, unkind, at, at the very least just annoying. And as I said, I think this comes from well-meaning people who just come against uncomfortable silences and don't know how to react or what to say. And the baby question can be particularly harmful because there might be somebody who's been trying to have a baby for a long time. There might be somebody who doesn't want a baby. There might be somebody, there might be a couple who have just recently had a miscarriage and, and you don't know anything about it. And there might be people that for various reasons can't have a child but desperately want it. And so your seemingly innocent question of, oh, when are you going to have a baby, can really trigger a whole lot of pain and trauma that you know nothing about. And then either force this couple that maybe you're not in close relationship with, because I find often these things come from people that are kind of more on the fringe, so it's not your best friends, it's people that are in the space and that don't have the deep relationship, relationship capital with you to know that you've just gone through a miscarriage or to know that you've been trying for three years or whatever it is. And so there's that space, there's that gap, there's that silence. Oh, when are you going to have a baby? And maybe you don't feel like these are the people that you want to explain what you're going through to. And so it puts you in that uncomfortable place of do you explain something that is painful that you haven't wanted to share with these particular people? Or do you just smile and come up with some little statement that kind of brushes it away? And, and so we've got to be so careful with things that we say that we think are well-meaning. But, but when you don't know what's going on behind the scenes can actually be really harmful questions. Comments about people's weight is another one. And I'm not sure if this is a cultural thing because I can think of specific friends who've spoken about it in black culture and Indian culture, maybe even colored culture. But, but I know that it happens in white culture as well. So maybe, maybe it just happens differently or plays out differently in the different spaces. But this is definitely something that does happen across cultures in, in a variety of ways. And often it comes out as, oh, you've put on weight. Or, oh, you're really fat. And again, it's not usually coming from a space of somebody with the mindset of, let me hurt this person. Let me cause them trauma. Let me, let me, let me make them feel uncomfortable. But it's, it's that uncomfortable silence. It's a traditional thing in some spaces that, that people, for some reason, feel like naming added weight is a good thing. And Again, it, like there's deeper questions about fat shaming and about the kind of culture we're part of and all that kind of thing. But most people generally, in my experience, don't appreciate being told that they've put on weight. And again, there might be underlying stories because I know I've got friends who've been on medication for depression or anxiety and the medication has affected their weight and they've spoken to me about that. And so somebody coming along saying, oh, you've got pretty fat, like it's not just that, but it also is speaking to the struggles that they're having with their mental health and, and something that they've got no control over in terms of their weight that, that is a byproduct of, of trying to find healing in another space. And so something that is not meant to be malicious can really cause pain and hurt. And so we really need to think about the questions we shouldn't ask. We really need to think about the statements we, wouldn't, we shouldn't make, especially when there's silence. And I think we'd, we'd all do ourselves a whole lot of good if we just became a bit more comfortable with silence don't don't feel the need to fill silence with words because you feel uncomfortable especially if you take a moment to reflect on how those particular words might make someone else feel uncomfortable or painful think before you speak and so from my from my 
story and i've i've kind of mentioned this a bit alluded to it or whatever but but in the last three years after 12 years of marriage my wife left me and last year we were divorced and one of the things that I, i've told a lot of people actually that that when people ask me how are you i go that's the worst question and i tried it as gently as possible and then i usually end up having to have a conversation to explain it but but for me and this can link to other tragedies that other people are facing because when a tragedy happens, say when somebody dies, for example, everyone shows up. And people will show up, some people for a day, some people for a week, the really close people for a month. And then people stop showing up because life continues. But for that person who's lost somebody, the reality is still there. And divorce in some ways, I think, feels like a death. You've lost somebody that was part of your life. You've lost this thing that you thought was there, that was going to be there forever, and, and now it's gone. And so... Even though my life has so many amazing moments, my work is phenomenal, I've got so much privilege to be able to be flying overseas in a couple of days, there's so much good happening. But so much of it at the moment, and I hope this won't be forever, so much of it at the moment is sitting in that framework of the end of my marriage, of the divorce. And so a question like, how are you, is a really hard one for me a lot of the time. And so what I've started telling people and what I've tried to do with people, because I've got another young friend who went through not a similar thing, except that it was, it was a divorce, so a very different way that it went about. But we spend a lot of time together. And what I've tried to do with him is to break it down. How are you doing today? How are you in this moment? How are you this week? Because that often feels like something that's a bit more manageable because the roller coaster is so hectic. Some days I can be doing really, really well. And the next day, for no other reason apart from the fact that I'm in this space post-divorce, I can be doing really, really badly. And I'm, I'm, I'm more happier, it's a lot easier to answer, how are you doing today? Yo, today's been really rough. Or today has actually been quite a good day. And, and so I want to encourage us to think about ways that we can make our questions friendlier, more invitational, more loving to people around us. And so if you know someone that's been through a tragedy, think very carefully about the things you ask. Because something like how are you might feel impossible for them to answer. And sometimes questions and words are, are not the way to go. Sometimes it's just by showing up, just pitching up, just sitting alongside them. Sometimes it's just by pitching up with a meal and dropping it off and not being around them. Or by sending them a voucher to, to order their own food or to go out on a date night or whatever it is. Sometimes it's just by presence, by letting people know you see them, letting them know you know they're going through it, but you don't have the words or anything to fix it or make it better or even help them in that moment. There are different ways that we can show up and ways that are beautiful and life-giving and transformational. And so let's be more creative when we think about those things. And when in doubt, probably generally the safer or more loving approach is to keep your mouth closed. Shh happens let's let's let shh happen because if we don't we're often going to find that the other shh word is going to be the thing that happens and so let's be okay with being quiet let's be okay with sitting with people sitting alongside people in tragedy in pain or even in spaces where we just don't know let's be okay with just showing up and so those are, those are a, lot of, a lot of ways and ideas and spaces where words can be damaging and, and can be unhelpful. And as I said, these are not bad people doing bad things. These are well-meaning, 
well-intentioned people that just haven't thought it through. And so often it comes from a place of ignorance or panic in terms of filling a space or whatever. And so as good people, as well-intentioned, well-meaning people, let's do the work so that we can become better in those spaces that will hopefully make people feel more loved and more seen. And so I want to finish by looking at a few ways in which we can use our words for good. And one of those is complimenting people. And often we compliment people on the typical worldly view of things, so how good people look, things like that. And I want us to, to get a little bit more creative about how we compliment people. What are things that people do that might seem unnoticed, that might seem trivial or whatever, that we can look at and go, hey, thanks for doing that. And an example that came to mind this morning as I was thinking about doing this podcast was that recently I was part of a scout camp helping out a friend of mine. And Rebecca was the admin person for the one camp. She, she basically ran the other camp that we did. But Rebecca is the admin queen. She can do those uh, Excel spreadsheets and, and Google Docs and move the things to the places and open the things and connect the things and draw the picture, all the th like admin stuff that I have no clue about. And I, I think most people ha hate admin. And then you get some people that are just absolute masters at it. And I imagine most of us do not compliment people on their admin skills. But I imagine saying something to Bex like, hey, Bex, you were phenomenal. Or thanks for being in that gap. Like nobody else wanted to do it. You didn't only do it, but you took it and you ran with it. You are amazing. Thank you for doing the admin. Let's find creative ways to celebrate things that people do that maybe just seem normal. If we think of teachers and the work that they do, which is phenomenal. If we think of medical people, I did a Heartlines thing with a bunch of police the other day and I got to see kind of behind the scenes, like we often have these stereotypes of who the police are. And I got to see 20 to 30 people that are part of the police because they want to make a change. They want to make a difference. And so I just took a moment to say, thank you guys. Like, I'm sure this is a thankless job. I'm sure you get a lot of things thrown at you, but I just want to say thank you for putting your lives on the line every day. Like, like let's get creative. How about the people that do your bins? Like Christmas is coming up and we often do a Christmas bonus or whatever, but, but taking time to do that. One of the places where I, I do this, and I try to do this well, is in malls in particular or in restaurants where somebody is mopping the floor or maybe alongside the side of the road where people are, are picking up litter as part of their job, like council people or whatever. Like I really try in those moments, people that are directing traffic, so when you've got the people with the red flag holding you back and then the people on the other side go and then your guy lifts the flag so you can go. Like I try in those moments to, to really lean out and let those people know that they are seen and I'm grateful for them. Because I'm sure a lot of people don't thank people for mopping floors and, and doing traffic or whatever and, and picking up litter in the middle of the day. I'm so grateful when I walk through a neighborhood and it's clean and I feel like it's this magical thing that happens and then some days I'm out running or, or, or driving and I see a, a whole road full of people picking up litter and it's like, oh, it doesn't happen magically. Thank you. And so find, find ways to compliment people on things that, that aren't necessarily the obvious things because it really is just that thing of saying, hey, I see you and I appreciate you and that's amazing and you're amazing. Let's use our words to build up a lot more. The other thing I thought of is voice notes and I know people have different relationships with voice notes. Some people see voice notes and run. I used to hate them because they'd come while I was in the shops and somebody would send me an important message that I needed to listen to, but I'm in the middle of pick and pay and it's like, this is super unhelpful. But I've gone from that to becoming a person who likes to send voice notes because I do love hearing people's voices. And so if you send me a message and I hear your voice delivering it, then, then that feels like connection. And so I do like that. 
I'm also terrible because I send I send many podcasts. So <laughs> getting voice notes from me is probably not always the most fun thing. But I used to be a youth leader and I've stayed connected with a lot of my ex-youth guys. And so many of them are grown up and are good friends with me. And so what I try to do from time to time is either when I'm driving or maybe when I go out for a walk in the neighborhood, send them a voice note just to say I'm thinking of them or see how they're doing or stay connected with them. And as I said, like I really enjoy hearing people's voices and I know different people experience it in a different way. But if you know people that enjoy voice notes, then it's that whole thing of I see you. I'm thinking of you right now. I'm connected to you. And that can be just a beautiful way to use words to, to encourage somebody that maybe is lonely or alone or feeling down or going through some hard stuff or just to encourage people that are doing well and, and celebrating um, other people. So there's lots of ways we can use words in a good way in that sense. And it's that whole thing of, of just having compassion, just, just letting people know I see you. I think that is the, the most important thing in terms of how do we use our words. And that can go along with this whole shh happens thing. Because when people have had tra tragedies strike, then if we are really careful about our words and either using them in a good way or holding them back in a good way, then that can be a way to really show people that we love them, that we care about them, and that we're there for them when they're going through a rough time. And so I want to I finish off with a couple of quotes that are by questionable people. I, I research these on the internet and don't get distracted by who they're from because, I mean, the ones from Lincoln, the ones from Churchill, did they really say these things? I don't know. But the quotes themselves are really helpful words. And so let's focus and reflect on these as, as we end off. So apparently <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said this, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And then this one was attributed to Churchill. By swallowing evil words unsaid, no one has ever harmed his stomach. By swallowing evil words unsaid, no one has ever harmed his stomach. And then this last one, be careful with your words. Once they are said, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. And then just going back to those quotes from the beginning of this episode, a smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether to say it or not. And then think before you speak and don't say everything you think. Let us become people who are not so scared or taken aback or panicked by silences that we step in and say things that are likely to be hurtful or make people feel uncomfortable or bring or add to pain that might already be there. Let's, let's lean into this thing of shh happening. And let's be people that when we do use words, we use words that are going to affirm and build up and encourage and celebrate and compliment and uplift and transform. Let's be mindful of, of the words we use and let's be mindful of how we show up when people are going through a rough time. I'm Brett Fish, and this is Out of the Fishbowl. Thanks for listening. <laughs>